0: Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey Podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, good morning, every nation, New Jersey. God bless you. PA here, Pastor Adam Burt, and I'm so excited that you would spend your Sunday morning. Here with us at Every Nation New Jersey, and we're beginning uh, our new fall series we've simply called A Beautiful Mess. And it's actually, we're going to go through the entire book of First Corinthians. And so since we're studying First Corinthians today, I need you to open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 18. And hopefully that'll make sense later on because Acts chapter 18, and we're actually going to see the birth of the church at Corinth. But before we do and get there, I, I like I have one takeaway I, I need you to get uh today. And so uh, little story to kind of frame things up for us, and so I am not a very cultured guy. You know what I'm saying? I'm much more blue collar, and uh, if I had the choice between a, a, a going to a movie theater or a Broadway play, I'm going movie theater the whole time, right? But uh, but my my wife and my daughter, they like Broadway and that type of thing, and so uh, so anyways, my very first Broadway play, uh, I went with my my lovely wife. We were newly married, and and so we, we enter in uh, to to the playhouse, and and we're gonna see this play and as we sit down I'm like baby I'm really hungry I'm like I'm going to go across the street to the deli and grab a sandwich and bring it back in which no one informed me you're not allowed to do that. And so I go across to this deli, uh, get a, a a turkey and cheese on a plain bagel, uh, bag of chips, go get that, brown bag that thing, bring it into the playhouse. I'm sitting uh, kind of middle center, and I'm opening this bag while this play is going on. These people are performing. I'm like <laughs> eating a bagel, crunching on chips, doing this. Well, long story short, at intermission, you know, I find out that, no, that's the place where you can buy from the local concession stand and you're not allowed to bring any of that trash, uh, into the playhouse. And so how I didn't get busted, they actually busted some guy trying to sneak in raisinettes and I'm eating a full blown sandwich. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I, I say that I, I, I recall seeing the play Wicked, uh, in, in downtown Manhattan. And, you know, it's critically acclaimed play. It was fantastic. And so I went with my wife and daughter and, we're watching this play and i got to admit i'm getting caught up uh, uh during the, the the first half uh, of the play and then and then we break for intermission and then you can imagine my surprise when when one of the, the guys uh that are involved in our local church in manhattan he texts me and he says this he says pa he says are you at wicked and i'm like yeah bro he says i'm in the play <laughs> and so when he said that i immediately two things came to mind Number one, bro, if you're in the play and I'm your pastor, why am I paying for tickets? (laughs) But then my second thought uh, was this. How cool is it that he could say, I'm in the play? And before we're done this morning, I want you more than anything else. I want you to see yourself in the play. This epic drama of the story of God reconciling man back to himself and your in the story. And so uh, uh, that's where we're headed today. And so uh, uh, Acts chapter 18, verses one through 11. All right. We're going to look at the birth of the Corinthians church. And so I'm going to read 11 straight verses. Uh, for, science would tell us this, that that I can only keep your attention for eight seconds. That is the attention span of a goldfish, but I'm believing better things for us. All right. 11 verses. Here we go. Verse one. Uh, Paul is just uh, coming from Athens. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia... Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, and from now on I will go to the Gentiles.'" Verse 7, "'And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice.'" Kind of an awkward name, uh, a worshiper of God. "'His house was next door to the synagogue.'" Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Did you see the kindness of God? Paul, in his missionary journeys, uh, he would be attacked uh, by Jews, he would be uh, uh, subject to mobs. He was even left dead at one point, and and even a great man, a like god like Paul, can get exhausted. And we see the kindness of God comforting Paul. In verse eleven, he says this, and Paul and he stayed a year and six months. Teaching the word of God among them, and so, so I need you to see that Paul comes to Corinth. Uh, he finds friends in Aquila and a Priscilla, and then he's later joined by Silas and Timothy. And suddenly, God begins to add to this gathering of people, and they would become the church at Corinth. And so, I want to show you how how we fit in the book, the drama. And the story of Almighty God, and so if if I can just uh, just I want to take you through this book. I'm going to take you through hundreds of years uh, of biblical history here in, a, in about a minute or two. All right, but we see in Genesis uh, one, two, and three, we see God creates everything beautiful and good. But in Genesis three, Adam and Eve they sin against God, and suddenly uh, this this perf- perfect world is shattered because sin is introduced. Uh, but God leaves us the promise. God says that, that the seed of the woman will come and will crush the serpent, our enemy's head. And so there's this promise of a hero and a savior. Fast forward to Genesis 12. God comes to a man named Abraham and God cuts a covenant with Abraham. And he tells Abraham this. He says, through your seed, uh, I'm going to raise up someone that will bless the entire world. And so uh, after that, we keep going through history. We see uh, that, that uh, Abraham would become a nation, the nation of Israel. And David, uh, you know, one of its greatest kings ever, and God comes to David and he says, David, he says, through your line, through your lineage, I'm going to raise up a king whose kingdom will never Ever end, And then we get the prophets who they just keep saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Then we roll into your New Testament and the gospels and the angels declare, he's here, he's here. Jesus arrives, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He lives the perfect life uh, that we couldn't live. And then he goes to the cross to pay the price for your sin and mine. And get this, on the third day, he rises again. But then in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his followers, he says, wait until you receive power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 2, we get the day of Pentecost, where there's 120 people in an upper room. They're praying and crying out to God uh, for power, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls, and on that day, man, suddenly everything changes, and, and the church would be birthed. Peter, who always seems to screw it up, now filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel flowing out of his mouth, 3,000 people are added and we get the first church. And after that, Um, that that the gospel would spread throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, by 380 uh, AD, we see it would become uh, the, the Roman Empire, the religion of the Roman Empire. And the gospel would just continue to spread throughout the globe. It would spread to Africa, to Asia, to Asia Minor. Eventually, it would wind up in Europe. And after the gospel spreads and churches are being planted uh, throughout the world, uh, a group of Puritans, they get on a boat and they cross over the pond and they arrive at what's known as the New World. Uh, It wasn't new. Uh, In fact, uh, the Americas uh, now are beginning to receive the gospel and churches are being planted all around the Americas and the gospel and the Spirit of God are taking uh, root in the United States. And now if I can fast forward 225 years uh, from the moment the first Puritan stepped uh, on American soil is is this, 225 years later, uh, on September 11th, 2001, at approximately 8.14 in the morning, uh, two a jumbo jet uh, airplanes fly in to the Twin Towers uh, in Manhattan. They come crashing to the ground. Chaos breaks out in Manhattan, and while everyone's leaving Manhattan, there's a group of every nation pastors coming in to the chaos to see how they can help and how they can serve. And these pastors got a word from Jesus that that they're to plant a church in Manhattan. And so, uh, a, a man, my pastor, by the name of Ron Lewis, Pastor Ron Lewis, was tasked to plant the church. And as he was, he was flying out. Of LaGuardia, and they flew over Manhattan, and you could still see the smoldering remains of the twin towers. He heard the Lord whisper to him these words: "Out of these ashes, I'll build a great church." Pastor Ron gets gets back to uh, where he resides in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, he he calls me and he says, "Hey, will you help me build the church?" Uh, in Manhattan, I had recently retired from the NHL. I says, absolutely. I'll come help you. I have no idea what I'm doing, but sure. I'll move my entire family up to Manhattan and we'll, we'll build the church together. And, and as I look back, I can see like we did so many things wrong. But get this, God breathed upon it and the church began to grow and it multiplied till, uh, we had three churches, uh, on the island of Manhattan. And, and I was tasked to lead the West Side service. Uh, in Manhattan. And I can recall one particular morning, uh, there was a mountain of a man showed up at our church. Uh, this man was probably 6'5", 285 pounds, and he was just ripped, right? And uh, for the record, if you can bench press uh, three plates, I'm going to come talk to you, okay? And so uh, this guy was huge. And so I went up, I started chatting him up, but he wouldn't tell me what he would do. He just told me his name was Kenyon Coleman. Uh, we go through the service. After the service, we catch up again. And he says this, hey, man, I, I pray f- play for the New York Jets. And he says, you should be our chaplain. And I thought, oh, sure, whatever. You know, gave my number. But sure enough, the New York Jets called. and uh, And get this, they had us do, it was basically American Idol for chaplains. I'm not even making this up. Like, like, You had to preach your best sermon, and then the guys on the team, they would vote on it, and they, that would determine who was going to be the chaplain. Well, for the record, uh, I, I got in, okay? And so uh, I became the New York Jets chaplain. And uh, one particular morning, after doing Bible study with the players in New Jersey, as I was driving home, I received an impression from the Lord. Um, uh, call it a vision, call it whatever you want. But it was it was an impression of a window that had been opened, and and I immediately uh, called Pastor Ron Lewis, and as we began to talk, we felt like it was a message from the Lord telling us that there's an open window to plant a church in New Jersey, and and at that moment, the New Jersey Church, uh, Every Nation New Jersey, uh, was founded with that vision. Uh, now Paul, Paul in our reading this morning, he found Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, I I didn't find them, but I immediately found uh, a a couple, Jim and Dottie Flanagan, and as well, uh, another uh, woman, Joyce Isidore. We affectionately call her Mama Joyce. And they agreed to help build the church in New Jersey with me. And as we begin to just pray and believe and invite and ask God, um, uh, God would provide reinforcements. Um, Just like Paul uh, got Silas and Timothy, to partner with him, uh, I got a man by the name of Pastor Sheno Prater, who moved from Nashville, Tennessee, to help build the church in New Jersey. Um, I received Kim Frias, who she is now our worship pastor, and uh, and I pray that you are blessed uh, by her time of worship at the start of our service. Jason and Marge Garcia, they came and decided to be our children's pastor, and, and so they came and, and joined. And then all we would do is we would preach the gospel and trust the Holy Spirit to do what he does. And get this, people started getting saved. Let me just give you a couple of examples. We had um, one man whose daughter was coming to youth, uh, our youth group, uh, which for the record was about three kids, right? And so, but she, she loved coming to youth, so her dad had to drive her. And so uh, he would sit out in the parking lot thinking these weird Christian people, right? Uh, but then he found out that there was free coffee, uh, in the lobby of our church. So he decided rather than wait in the car, he'll come into the lobby. And then from the lobby, he heard the sound of this amazing worship. He was drawn in. And so he began, he sat in the back of the worship service. And can I tell you now? Now. Jesus captivated his heart. Now, this this guy who thought church was just so weird and Jesus was so off-putting, he now calls me uh if he can't make it uh to service on any given Sunday, right? The Holy Spirit was at work. Let me give you another one. Uh uh There was a a, a woman that was attending our church, and single woman, and, and there was a guy that was pursuing her. And uh, get this, this guy was a, a former outlaw biker gang leader. And so uh, uh, she just flat out told this guy, he's like, listen, um, I, I won't date anybody unless they come and love uh, my church. And so he's like, well, I want to go to church. <laughs> and so so this guy shows up at church. And let me just tell you, man, uh, the Holy Spirit and the gospel did its work, captivated his heart. Man, and I was so honored and overjoyed to be able to baptize this man, and he's a part of our church now. Um, here's another one. So uh, get this. Remember, people were just adding people to the church at Corinth. God is adding people to our work here uh, in New Jersey. I I uh, uh, Actually, we were, we were partnering with Joel Osteen Ministries and and so uh, I was asked, along with another group of of local New Jersey pastors, to pray a prayer at the Prudential Center at a Joel Osteen uh, event. And so the Prudential Center, downtown Newark, New Jersey, it was just packed uh, with all these people, and I was tasked to pray a prayer over the group uh, for the peace of God. Which was ironic because I, I was so incredibly nervous that I was I was physically shaking, right? And here I am gonna pray over people for the peace of God. But in that group uh was a group of there was there was three or four people uh that that heard the prayer, they found out there was a church in New Jersey, and they came and built with us. And so God is continuing to build uh his church. And so little by little, and here's what I wonder. Man, as God continues to add and build, what will this thing look like when God's finished? Here's what I hope, is I believe that God is adding people and transforming lives of people that will love God, love people, and live their life on a mission. That's my hope, and I know that was Paul's hope uh, as well. And so now we're ready to get to the first Corinthians, first Corinthians, uh, chapter one, verses one through two. We're only going to read two verses in Corinthians. And, and Paul says this. It begins, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so uh, I want to highlight that word called. It's the word kletos in the Greek. It it means to call or to invite. And so uh, a little bit of time travel as I got you jumping through uh, uh, entire uh, eras of time, but uh, the year was 1987. Uh, The NHL draft I was eligible for was in my hometown of Detroit, Michigan. And so I just want you guys to know out there, I was looking good, man. I had my, my white blazer on with my, my pink uh, button-down shirt with my royal blue knit tie. It was cool in the day. And they had this little bar thing that would lift it up, you know. And, and get this, I was rocking the mullet. It, it was business in the front but party in the back, man. And <laughs> But but get this, um, and, and when the 39th pick, the second round came, the Hartford Whalers general manager went to the microphone and they said the Hartford Whalers select Adam Burt. They had, they had called my name. They had they had Kletos me, if you will. And, and I was invited uh, to become a part of the Hartford Whalers and the National Hockey League. And I went down and I got to put on the jersey and the hat. And, and at that moment, I had become a part of the, the NHL Universal, right? So, so there's there's a, a less than one percent of the people on the planet get to play in the NHL. And uh, not to be like a humble brag or something like that, but 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 it's it's an elite group, a fraternity of people. It's the NHL Universal. But guess what? I wasn't just invited into the NHL Universal. I was invited to a local expression of the NHL to play a part of the Hartford Whalers. And I say that to say this is that, notice, the the word church in your Bible, it's the word ekklesia. It means uh, the called out ones. People that are called out and called together. And so in the same way, like, like, there is the universal church, that when you become a Christian, God has called you out, invited you in to be a part of the church. Universal it's it's Christians from from the beginning of time uh, until now we become a part uh, of this fraternity together okay um, I, I love how they express it in Hebrews in the book of Hebrews Hebrews chapter 11 is the Hall of Fame of Faith and we read about Abraham by faith did this David by faith did this Moses by faith did this and and so you can just feel all these people that have been part of the drama of Almighty God and then Hebrews 12 says this therefore. Let us run our race. See, it's it's our turn in the story to be a part of the universal church of God. But you know, it doesn't stop there. Um, you're also called to be a part of a local church. Paul references the church in Corinth. It's this tangible community of faith. Um, it's It's life on life. And so I see this really prevalent uh, nowadays. People are like, you know, you, you watch a video uh, of a sermon uh, online and you're like, oh, Joel Osteen's my pastor or Stephen Furtick's my pastor. Listen, no, they're not. Like, like they don't know you. They're not going to be able to rebuke you, encourage you, uh, lay hands on you and pray for you. They're not your pastor, bro. All right. Um, you've been called to be a part of a local church. A local expression. It's it's where the sacraments uh, are administered, baptism and the Lord's supper. It's where the word of God is rightly divided, and people gather to to encourage and edify, and yes, at times correct one another. And it's vital to your spiritual growth. Uh, the local church is God's plan A, and get this, there is no plan B. And so, uh, in, in your Bible, there, there's all kinds of, of metaphors that describe uh, the church. And can I, can I just unpack a few of them for you? Uh, let's look at number one is this. Uh, one metaphor is, is that the church is an army. It's an army. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, the book of Ephesians is all about the church uh, of Jesus Christ. And, and we get to Ephesians 6, and it's a familiar passage of Scripture where Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God, but you need to get the context. The context is, yeah, individually put on the full armor, but that, that individual is a part of an army, the church at Ephesus, the church local. And so this idea of a lone ranger Christian is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Hey, it's just me and Jesus. Uh, no, uh, you've been planted. You've become part uh, of an army. All right. And so um you know even our even our uh the United States army you know they have these these uh mottos and expressions they'll use they're like be all you can be and uh at one point they, their motto was this be an army of one right it sounds it sounds so so enticing and dramatic you know what it is they realized it's dumb because an army of one is going to get you one thing it's going to get you killed and so they changed it to this army strong because they realize this, we're better together. And that is, uh, man, the church. We are called together people uh, to do life and to do battle together. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, here in the United States, man, church, uh, we, we've mistaken church in our consumeristic society that, that we, we think it's a cruise ship when in fact God's called us to be a battleship. Like like, many people just come and they're just like, hey, entertain me. I, I better like the music. The temperature might be right. It, it's a cruise ship, right? But God says, no, man, you've been created. The church was designed to be a battleship, uh, an army. Let me read for you. This is my uh, weekly uh, C.S. Lewis uh, discourse. And Lewis, I'm quoting C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. And Lewis says this. He says, for Christianity is a fighting religion. It thinks God made the world, that space and time and heat and cold and all the colors and tastes and all the animals and vegetables are things that God made up out of his head as a man makes up a story. He says, but it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on our putting them right again. And so maybe I can, maybe I can highlight it this way. Is, um, uh, do you know that Walt Disney's Pixar's, um, uh, it's, their movies have made, uh, over 14 billion, with a B, dollars. That's almost 680 million per film that they make. But here was, it was fascinating. I was reading in the book, The Culture Code, that, that one Pixar exec, he said this, and I'm quoting, so don't get mad at me. He says, All our movies suck at first, (laughs) and so which that was so odd to me. But but here's what they do about uh, their suckiness: is um, uh, every employee, whether you're in the cafeteria or or part of the security team uh, at Pixar Studios, that that there'll come a time where they'll be selected, and you'll be invited in uh, to the theater. They actually will have them sit in the fifth row. It's where the director sits. And so they sit in the fifth row and, and they're saying this. They'll say, Hey, um, you're no longer a cafeteria worker or a safety worker. Here's what you are. He says, they say, you're a filmmaker and you're to help make this film better. Uh, they call them Pixarians. <laughs> and so their job is to help make the movie better. Can I tell you this? If you've called on the name of Jesus Christ, uh, you're not a Pixarian, but you are a Christian. And God's called you. You know, this world right now, it's a mess. And God's called you to help make this world a better drama, a better picture. And so let's make it better Together, um, here's the second uh, metaphor: is this uh, that that the church is a body, is a body. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 27. It says this: uh, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And so, uh, like you got to admit, like the human body is just this conglomeration of different, wonderfully different organs and, and, and bones and arteries and, and veins and all these different nerve endings that's going on and, and, all these different parts that make up our wonderful bodies. It's, it's, it's a miracle by Almighty God. And these parts are wonderfully different. And if I might say this, like we live in a time, uh, in our world where people divide, uh, just looking to divide over our differences, where the church, we're called to be a body and we want to celebrate our differences and unite over them because listen, I need you and you need me. We're wonderfully different and we need each other. It's been designed that way. And you know, um, in your physical body and as well as the body of Christ, there are no insignificant parts. Like there isn't, like take a, like take your pinky, right? Did you know that your pinky provides 50% of your grip strength, isn't that incredible, right? been um, uh, I mean, here a uh, little story, backstory about mine. So, uh, so this pinky right here, uh, it decided it no longer wanted to be a part of my body. Uh, and so it tried to dislocate itself. In fact, it did. I was playing in a, in a hockey game and someone hit me and, and my, my pinky went this way. All right. And so it was sideways off, off there. And, uh, it was wildly painful. <laughs> in fact, I believe when my trainer put it back in socket, I, I mouth kissed him. All right. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it was wildly painful, but here's the result from, from this part of my body dislodging and dislocating. You know what? This pinky became extremely weak uh, and my body uh, experienced a, a great deal of pain. And it's like that way. When you're not plugged in to the body of Christ, you're going to be weak and the body will suffer because of it. And so plug in to a local church. Here's a, number three uh, is this. The church is also a family, a family. Let me read to you Ephesians 1 uh, verse 5. Uh, Paul's going to say this: He, that He, being the Father God, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose uh, of His will. And so, here, here's what that means: Like if you have ever been to church and you see Christians calling themselves, "Hey, brother," "Hey, sister," um, it, it's not just because we don't remember your name, <laughs> but but you know what it is? It's it's an expressing. A spiritual reality that when you when you are ad- receive Jesus Christ, you're adopted in to the family of God, and now you and I become brothers and sisters. Let me just share like like a, a just a brief list of, of things I learned by playing uh, pro sports. All right, these are just some things I learned by by uh, playing pro sports. Uh, here's number one: I, I learned this uh, that flying commercial stinks. All right. Like, uh, when I'm in the NHL, we fly all these charter, all these private jets and first class seats and the best food imaginable. I remember my, my first flight in the ministry. Southwest Airlines, all the way to the back roll, middle seat. Okay. And the potty is behind me. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, nightmare. So, so flying commercial stinks. Here's what else I learned in the NHL. Uh, I learned, uh, that you can use the F-bomb, uh, as an adjective, an adverb, a conjunction, a noun, a proper noun, a verb, right? It's just like, because they found ways to do it uh, in the locker room. Okay. And, uh, but then here's, here's lastly, and really more important is this, is that by playing in the NHL, I learned that, you know what? Enemies can become family. It, it's just true. In 1999, I was traded from the Carolina Hurricanes to the Philadelphia Flyers. And you can imagine what it's like as the new guy stepping in to this new team. And get this, I had fought three of those guys on that team. I fought uh, Rick Tockett, who, by the way, shattered the left side of my face, uh, uh, leaving me with four plates and 11 screws uh, in it. Uh, and then also there's another guy by the name of Keith Jones. I couldn't believe when I saw Keith. He had like a dad bod. I'm like, oh, I can't believe that I, I let him get the best of me. And then I, I'd fought this other guy, Rod Brindamore, uh, a week prior to this. And so I'm like, hey, man, that was a good one. You got me, right? And so these guys that we've had vicious battles with in a moment... We went from being enemies to family. And you know, that's what takes place in the body of Christ when you're adopted in. In fact, I'll give you the, uh, this one. Is, you know, that Saul in the Bible, um, he became the apostle Paul. He was a wicked, wicked man. So, um, my, my wife, Susan, used to work in Manhattan. And I recall one time she, she called me. She was just in, in really distress because a, a man had uh, that was high on drugs got into his Honda Accord and began to plow through crowds of people uh, in Times Square. He actually killed an 18-year-old girl. And my wife was kind of beside herself because she had walked that same path uh, really just minutes prior to this. And, and so they, they actually had video footage it of it uh, online and she sent it to me. She says, honey, you got to see it. And I'm like, baby, I do not want to see that. I don't want to put that in my brain because once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I say that to, to our, uh, just to highlight this, how sick Paul, Paul was, or Saul, that, that the church's first martyr is a man by the name of Stephen. And so they stoned this man to death. And, and Saul, uh, because he enjoyed it so much, he said, I'll hold your jackets while you throw stones at him so he could watch. Like there's a level of sickness to that. And Saul, as he was on his way to persecute Christians, uh, it says this, that Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his horse and blinded Saul. And while Saul was was a, a praying and awaiting what would happen next, Jesus sent a man by the name of Ananias uh, to Saul And get this, like Saul was coming to arrest and possibly even kill this man, Ananias. But at the command of God, Ananias went, laid his hands on Saul, this blind, shaken man. And he says this, brother Saul, brother Saul, the Lord heals you. See, they were at one point enemies, and now enemies had become family, um, Here's my, my last one is this. Here's our, our last metaphor for the church. The church is also called a bride, a bride. Uh, Ephesians 5, verses uh, 31 to 32, Paul says this, therefore, and so this, this whole part in, in uh, Ephesians 5 is about marriage between a, a man and a woman. Verse 31, Paul says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then here's the money line. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's what you need to know. That the church is called the bride of Christ. That Jesus has willfully, lovingly, and eternally chose to bind his life to his bride, to his church, to his called out ones. Get this, and and, and for uh, this marriage... There's no prenup. There's no uh, option for divorce. There's no falling out of love. That that, that The church is forever and fully beloved by Jesus. And I don't know what it is, but but in this day and time, it's suddenly become cool to to bash the church. And and listen, I get it. Uh, We've earned a lot of that stuff. But I would just say this, just maybe you want to pump the brakes a little bit. Before you start uh, bashing the church, because you, I'm, I want to remind you, it is the bride of the Son of God. You know, my um, when I was newly married, uh, my grandmother. For whatever reason, a weird family dynamic, okay, uh, felt threatened by my new wife, Susan. And, and every time that, that, um, I would, I would, uh, Susan would be in the room with my grandmother, my grandmother would find some way to, to kind of, uh, shame her or say something off putting about until to, it got to this point where I'm like, Hey, grandma, uh, listen, uh, you say one more bad thing about my bride, my wife. We're done. All right. You, you won't see your grandkids or do anything. I will not tolerate you to talk to my wife that way. And so, uh, and, and listen, I'm, I'm still drinking from that well for my wife. She's like, thank you for championing me, whatnot. Uh, but, but my point is not, hey, hey, <laughs> cut off your grandmother. My point is this. Be careful how you talk about the bride of Christ, Christ church. Uh, if, if you want to find something wrong with the church, you don't have to look har- hard. You'll find it. But if you want to find something wonderful, beautiful, and good about the church, if you look, you'll find it. Let's pray. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, um, um, Jesus asked Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies this. He says, upon that rock, the rock of that confession of faith, I'm going to build my church. And, and I'm wondering who out there, maybe you don't know Jesus this morning, but if you would confess like Peter, Jesus, I believe you're the Christ, the son of God who died for my sins, come into my heart and be the Lord and savior of my life. If that's you this morning and you just want to just say amen, amen means so be it. If you say that the Lord, your God, he, he will bind his life to you and you will become uh, his very own. And and listen, if that's you, man, maybe you just want to say it or put it in the chat or whatever, amen. And as you pray that, you've just become a Christian. And I want to encourage you. You need to get water baptized and you need to plug in and belong to a local church. And so Lord, I pray uh, that you would just give great grace by the power of your Holy Spirit as the gospel goes forth and the Spirit does His work. Lord, thank you that you're saving men and women. And we're going to play our part in this great drama of you reconciling the world back to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, God bless you, every nation. Uh, The sermon's done, but I have one brief reminder that you can remain faithful in your tithe and your offering, your giving. The tithe simply means a tenth. That, that we believe that, that as an act of worship and obedience to God, that, that a tenth of everything that comes in, we give back to Jesus. And as we do that, we trust that Jesus is going to care for us and richly provide our each and every need. And so there's three ways you can give. You can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Uh, or you can give via text. If you text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977, it's a very convenient uh, way to give. Or you can mail in your check or money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive, right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you uh, as you are faithful in your giving. Listen, Every Nation, Jesus loves you and I think you're amazing too. Have a great, great week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website. ENCNJ.org.